Annyeong. Welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake, an Arrested Development podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have two guests. First of all, I have JL Aranel. Hey, brother. Hello. <laughs> and I have Kevin Lynch. Hello, Kevin. Annyeong. And today we are covering Not Without My Daughter, which is, the, which is episode 21. So the episode was broadcast on the 24th of April, 2004. It was actually the final episode of season one that was broadcast within the Nielsen window for that season because the finale, uh, Let Them Eat Cake, which I'll be discussing next time, wasn't actually broadcast until June. This was the final one that counted towards the ratings. It was written by Mitch Hurwitz and Richard Rosenstock, both of whom I've discussed many times before, and directed by Lee Shalit Shemel, which I think is how you say that name. Um, uh I mean, if I'm saying it wrong, then I've said it wrong a number of times up until this point, um, because she has directed uh, four episodes this season, or another three episodes. Uh, I can't quite remember. Oh, she's only directed another two this season, but she'll direct another two next season, so uh, she directs five overall. And on the DVD, the summary of the episode is as follows. While Michael is questioned by the police about Kitty's disappearance, Job takes George Michael shoplifting at the department store where Lindsay just got a job. <laughs> Which I think is a, a nice summary. I like that summary because it sounds like they're just having a, a good, you know, boys night day out at the mall. Yeah. Well, it's worth noting in my DVD thing here as well, they misspell Lindsay with an E. Uh-huh. So, as they say on The Simpsons, I hope someone got fired for that mistake. <laughs> so that's kind of the main thrust of this episode, is um, we have Michael uh, being questioned about kind of disappearance of Kitty, taken maybe under his wing mm-hmm. for the day. In counterpoint to that, you have Lindsay and Tobias with their jobs at the store, whilst, as described there, Job and George Michael go shoplifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so... And, uh, I mean, not mentioned in that description, but also quite important is the rivalry between Buster and Anyong, mm-hmm. um, which takes place over kind of football. Uh, we get one scene at the prison with George Senior, I think, yeah. where... Uh, where um, And Buster... Um, Buster tattles on you, tattles on yeah. his mom. Just a turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one, of the, that's one of the things that plays on the... Um, the menu for this disc on the DVD. I think actually it's Lindsay saying um, "sweet old thing," and um, Michael Michael <laughs> Michael saying mm-hmm. that that's that's not accurate. Quite and right. um, and then obviously the thing about the, being a turd out. Those are like the two first things that play when you put this disc in. So I'm used to seeing yeah. those scenes over and over and over again. I really like that scene in the kitchen when basically almost all of the families together. Like their their dynamic with each other was really yeah. fun in that scene. Um, just shit together. And the way everyone just kind of or the, the few gays rather just kind of fall asleep in the middle of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um but before <laughs> yeah. we get to that, I should ask both of you, um, did you watch this show when it was on the air? Or did you come to it later on Netflix, or how did you get to it? And I'll, I'll ask uh, JL because you, I guess, will be in a slightly unique situation in, in that I don't know if this show would have actually been broadcast mm-hmm. um, when it was first out. It actually did get broadcast here on cable. I, I'm pretty sure it was it was a Fox channel as well. I actually I did try to watch it uh, when it was on air. I heard lots of good things about it on the internet and. Hey, I'll check this out. I bounced it. I bounced off the show in that first try. So, actually, started watching it like a, a long time after it's gone off off air already. So yeah. And yeah. Kevin, did you watch it when it was being broadcast on Fox, or 
Did you catch it with it later when it was on? No, DVD? um, my my brothers and my dad loved it, and um, I watched like one or two episodes. You know, th- this definitely isn't the kind of show you can just like jump in and watch a random episode and catch on. But um, then when the DVDs came out, like yeah, then I was all over it. You know, watch it every <laughs> every chance I could. Lent it out to all my friends that they could watch it the whole. Uh, <laughs> And I'm also just gonna say like this is maybe my fourth time through the series. Like I, I keep like doing yearly rewatches of uh, Arrested Development. So it's just that good. And every time I go through it, I'm finding new stuff to, to laugh yes. at. Well, I mean, there have it's been great. several episodes where we where I've managed to reveal things to people who've watched the series a number of times. Um, and there have been a lot of times where people <laughs> have been talking about the show and they've finally gotten a joke. That's basically like you know, thirteen, fourteen mm-hmm. years old. So, um, it's, I feel it is one of those series yeah. that has a lot for people to um, kind of find. But let's get into the plot then, mm-hmm. because the main crux of it is, yep. um, as as suggested in the title, "Bring Your Daughter to Work Day." Now, I don't know if this is a real thing because I've only ever seen it in sitcoms. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, I... <laughs> It's one of those things that only that everyone just accepts as reality, but only exists on on TV. Yeah, and then they just you know take it to the ridiculous degree here. It, yeah, it's just such a it's such a. Yeah, I was actually hoping Kevin would have uh, insight on this since <laughs> he's the American in this, in yeah. this episode. <laughs> but no, you you, you uh, like you didn't know of anyone taking their daughters to work when you were younger, Kevin, or this isn't a thing that happens at your current workplace. No, I don't, I, I don't think it is. It, I mean, it might be at like some like company, but it's not, you know, the national holiday that it seems to be here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is very strange. Uh, apparently it's the fourth Thursday in April, uh, which is fitting because that would have been close to when this episode was actually broadcast. So, oh, okay. Um, someone in the show knew when this was going to be going out, so they figured it would be close. Um, and at the moment, it's actually called "Take Our Daughters and Sons to Work Day," which is obviously a lot harder than just "Take Your Daughter to Work Day" um, to say. Um, and it it also happens in Canada around the seventh of November, and. Um, just after the Christmas break in um, in Australia, so it is a thing that first happened in 1992 um, uh, by the uh, the Ms Foundation for Women. Um, mm. Apparently, uh, Ms Darren Ball. I don't know if that's how you say her name. Um, and Gloria Steinem kind of came up with the idea, and um, it, like it first properly started in April in 1993. Uh, which fits quite nicely with the continuity for this episode because we get a flashback to um, George, to young George Michael. <laughs> yeah. The actor, the actor is um, is is uh, Christian Lavery, I think is how you say his name, um, and he will portray as with all the young blues in every episode mm. for the original fifty three. He will portray young George Michael in every episode that needs a young George Michael. And we get to see we get to see him six years old, uh, which would be if if this, if this episode is set when it went out, which is you know two thousand four, that would have been about ninety three ninety four. So it would have been kind of around the the the, the time that uh, Bring Your Daughter to Work Day started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know <laughs> he he does a curtsy and says, "I'm a good little girl," and. 
It's such a such a stupid joke. This is this is kind of like the, the the first of three times when we'll see young George Michael. Or actually, no, I lied. This is the second because we've we've seen him in a previous episode. Um, mm. But yes, the, I just I love how quickly that this goes from it being kind of cute, yeah. like a six year old George Michael is doing a curtsy and saying he's a good little girl, and, <laughs> and then of course we get a second flashback where. Um, Michael Sarah <laughs> walks past the uh, conference room and just says, "Hey, Dad, they're out of sanitary napkins in the ladies' washroom," and then kind of wanders off laughing. And George Senior just goes, "Weird kid." And I love Jeffrey Tambor's delivery of that line because it's kind of like it's not cruel or anything. It's just like mm. he's puzzled as to why this is still happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna guess in terms of the continuity. Uh, Tracy died two years before this, so when mm-hmm. you know George Michael was twelve ish. So I'm going to guess that was probably the previous year when he would have been about thirteen. Yeah, for it to be Michael Sarah playing that joke, um, and of course the fact that I mean it also it, it, you know it it it, f- it feels to me like um, because. Um, Michael kind of doesn't want to take him to work this year. It feels like it was a direct play off last year. Yeah, like, sure, yeah. The yeah, it's like his dad. No, yeah, but as with the mm-hmm. with with a lot of stuff that happens with Michael, the disapproval of George Senior always seems it's to be a thing that will yeah, drive yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it feels to me like this year he's like, let's not do it, simply because he feels, you know the disapproval of his father, who is in prison, so who cares? But, you know, yeah. that's Michael Bluth for you, always looking for his approval of his um, his uh, his father. And I, I, I love how George Michael still wants to, like, kind of keep the joke. Um, mm-hmm. And this is another one of these episodes where we start with the family at the beginning of the episode setting up all the plot, and we mm-hmm. start with Michael and George Michael kind of setting setting off events, basically, and then at the end of the episode, they'll kind of wrap it up, um, you know, together. Uh, and I just kind of love how, <laughs> um, you know, George Michael is like, pretty soon I'm going to have to start wearing a bra, Dad. And it's just like... <laughs> I, I really like Michael's <laughs> exasperation and that he can't kill a joke. It's like... Yeah, really, I, just, really I love that. Delivery. <laughs> I like to how the, the usually, you know, awkward and, and you know uncomfortable michael Sarah is taking these uncomfortable uh, uh phrases and just like you know completely selling them <laughs> yeah, like yeah, right yeah. chipper yeah he's really he's really embracing the idea of playing as the daughter and i just i just mm-hmm. love how yeah how he's like completely but it can't just it. be like you know I, I i can't find a nice dress today it's <laughs> i have to go start wearing a bra <laughs> and it's, i think it's, it's great that he's really secure in his, in his masculinity at least like the way he plays it it's, it's he feels really secure in it like he doesn't care that he's playing this um feminine character in in the in the in the show it's really great to me <laughs> and michael Sarah, like we say he's like he's really good with this whole kind of storyline, I feel like this is probably one of his best episodes in simply how much he throws him his, not yet. He starts off throwing himself into the kind of the enthusiasm of, of this day. And mm. then when he gets downcast, um, later on, he he says to Job, you know, like, uh, it's great to be hanging out with you. And he's yeah. also kind of very enthusiastic to be hanging out with his uncle. And like, I, I feel like he, he does some really good stuff in this, uh, in this episode. Um, but the other plot there is going on is 
Um, Lindsay and new clothes, which is a weird kind of um, place for it to start. But mm-hmm. also counter to that is um, Job and Tobias and their kind of... Um, I don't know what you call it. Their laziness, basically. <laughs> it feels to me like um, like we have two mirror plots here. Like um, in Michael's, Michael and Maybe's case, uh, Michael is trying to be a good role model for Maybe, and in Job, in Job's and George Michael's case, like they're the mirror version of that plot. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, and also you have this the same thing going on with Lindsay and Tobias where. You know, Tobias is trying to like. Oh, get that's a job true. That's and, right. That's right. Yeah, and 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 also kind of be very kind of masculine about it and outward mm-hmm. about having the job. And Lindsay's got a job, but she's trying to hide it from everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's, she's yeah, so ashamed. That's a good so point. That's a good point. Kind of like a weird little counterbalance is going on mm-hmm. throughout the episode. But we get a quick flashback before all that starts up because because maybe is. <laughs> He's kind of like listlessly just lying on the ground watching entertainment news. Um, and that is kind of Tobias at work, basically. Mm, yeah, <laughs> back in Boston. Such as it is. Yeah, maybe he's even like, because after Michael is like, shouldn't you be getting dressed? To maybe she's like, no, I'm going to work with, with uh, my dad today. And, um, and you know, <laughs> I, I, again, Tobias does the, um, the gender switching. Where he, mm. he says, uh, "Excuse me, Michael, for not raising the perfect daughter that you did." So he's he's fully <laughs> invested in. Yeah, yeah, just like going on. Yeah, it's just going along with the joke. And we get a flashback. Yeah, is he buying into the joke, or is he just being? Tobias? I think <laughs> I think he's just being Tobias because you know he's done that a number of times this season where he he switches people's genders up or switches the way he refers to someone. But yeah, so we get a flashback to. Um, young maybe once again played by uh, Danielle I can't remember her surname I want to say Cipola I think that's how you pronounce it and we see we see Tobias um, and he's talking with this patient and the patient is kind of he's not getting to the point he's kind of talking about a pull a longing and um, (laughs) maybe kind of cuts him off and says homosexual or she sings it should i say homosexual uh danielle cipola does and of course tobias is like maybe please and then he pauses for a second and then turns to the guy and says she's right though you're probably a homosexual (laughs) and then he kind of turns back to maybe and smiles and it's worth noting that as he turns back and smiles on his desk is a picture of uh uh, dr Kay's 100 percent um, natural good time family band solution is like on his desk. He's got like a little <laughs> portrait of. Wow, the yeah, I noticed yeah. that. That's not until like season three, right? Uh, no, no, that's no, actually that happened this season this already. Season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, right. yeah. Best man for the job was the episode where that was introduced, which was only like two episodes ago. So that's that's already a little kind of callback. Oh, yeah. okay, never mind. <laughs> I, I really like that yeah. flashback, um, giving us some insight into bias, like or like. How oblivious he is to his own sexuality that he can call other people homosexuals, but he can't seem to yeah see it does see yeah I think it's just for the joke of maybe singing that word. I think that's what mm. it is really. I think there is a little bit of what's been going on all season with his obliviousness, but mm. I th- and obviously this is you know this is another person who's ref- and the fact that he probably diagnosed all of his patients <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we when they had the play, maybe did say he thinks everybody's gay. So mm-hmm. I, oh, I think that's, that's probably that's where she's. I think that's probably where the young maybe is getting it from. Is literally everybody that she's ever seen on this bring your daughter to work day 
is basically a closeted homosexual. That's like always his <laughs> diagnosis. And then we also get a little bit of um, of Job calling back to a few episodes ago, which will tie into the end of the episode or will tie into the, the, the plot of, of the episode to do with Michael. And um, this is the Girls with Low Self-Esteem Newport Beach, which is um, is already out. Uh, despite the fact that like it was only recorded over the spring break, which was literally like a month earlier, so um, yeah. the girls with low self esteem, you know, really uh, really get their productions out there, and uh, we see, um, you know, a, a callback to um, that episode, mm. uh, which, if I'm right, was missing Kitty, and yeah, yeah, yeah. we we see the yacht being blown up, <laughs> and. Yep. and um, it's weird actually because at the time the um, the setup for the yacht being blown up was Job saying that he'd made a promise on an MTV style program that he would mm. return a year later and do that. So yeah. it's odd that it's now on this girls with low self esteem like blooper reel essentially. <laughs> um, it seems like a weird place for it to debut rather than it, it like being broadcast live on TV, which is what I assumed was going on with mm. the whole because that's what like MTV Spring Break. Which is obviously oh, what okay. the youth-oriented or music program was kind of aping was generally like live, if I remember uh, right, or re- certainly recorded the same day and then broadcast. I, I kind of think that they might later. be riffing on um, some other Spring Break video series. Like it might not necessarily be. Um... Yeah, it's girls yeah, gone girls wild. Gone yeah, wild. Exactly. That's, that's, that's it. That's yeah, it. but I don't know how many girls gone wild DVDs or whatever featured magicians. Oh, actually, VCRs. Um, They're still using VCRs in in this era. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like, like that's like a funny, yeah. like a weird thing I, I noticed just watching rewatching the episode. I noticed Michael's cell phone too is like an old like not even a flip mm-hmm. phone, but it's just like an old yeah, phone. yeah. It's just weird to look. <laughs> oh, there's like a thing I want to call. I want to call out from um, that previous episode. Like it's like uh, one second, one second in that um, in that magic scene. There is, if you look up, you can look this up online. Uh, look for "All Christians Must Unite: Arrested Development." There's a little like a yeah. weird thing that like I have no idea what that is about, but it's it's just there if you if you watch it closely. <laughs> okay, there's also the sign which says "Mr. Magician Joe." Oh, I did not see that. Oh, right, I, I see on the, the one the, side the of the sign screen on the on the stage here, yeah. but like yeah, on the scene before yeah. that, there's like this weird guy just holding up "All Christians Must Unite." This is, this is a weird visual gag out of nowhere. Like, it doesn't. I don't think it pays off anywhere else. It's just, it's just there. I mean, Job does eventually go to the Middle East to do some Christian magic. So, oh, that's uh, true. I guess it pays they off. They might like, have been setting up. Yeah, they might have been setting two up. Two seasons down the line, but yeah. So Job is like insisting that that this will put him back on top, like for his mm. magic career. But all they show are things going wrong um you know and obviously you know job like dropping the dead dove and all that kind of Mm. stuff and they don't show the yacht being blown up and then you know the i love how the announcer is like um you you like magic look away (laughs) it's just like kind of uh and of course this is where tobias says the first of his douche chill oh yeah and obviously Job, you know, is is kind of downhearted that they didn't use the part where he made it disappear. And of course, <laughs> I love I love this kind of uh, the classic Bluth cross purpose talking where <laughs> Michael says, "Sunk the yacht, blew it up, sunk it," and Job goes, "We sure did," as if it was like a joint effort, <laughs> putting his hand on his shoulder. 
<laughs> and I love how Michael instantly is like, we? No. And kind of like knocks his hand away like to make it clear um, that he wasn't part of that. Now, obviously, kind of the yacht blowing up will, will be called back a couple of times in this episode. But we also get the, the start of, um, um, you know, Michael, Michael not taking George Michael to work, but instead taking maybe. Mm. Um, and and both both of Maybe's parents at, uh, kind of comment on how her behaviour is odd when uh, Michael says you know um, you know get dressed and she goes you know you come in he says get dressed you're coming to work with me and uh, and she says all right and then she kind of wonders and just goes off and get dressed and Tobias is like you know she she doesn't respond well to directives and then he's like that was odd when she goes. And the same thing happens with uh, Lindsay later on, where she, where uh, you know, maybe obeys something, and she says that was odd. And uh, I will say that maybe his behaviour at the start of this episode is odd because generally she doesn't obey the rules, and mm. she does like to rebel against her parents, uh, even if in some cases, like you know, buying a lot of leather clothes, she has no idea what she's rebelling against. Um, she basically just likes to do the opposite of whatever they say. And obviously they're both used to this happening to the point where they don't try and tell her to do anything because they know if they say one thing, she'll just do the opposite. Yeah, that's basically what's happening here, too, is they they think she's just going to lie around, so you know she'll show them and she'll go to work today. <laughs> yeah, so she, I, love, I just love how maybe kind of always rebels in the oddest way that mm. always catches kind of everyone off guard and they never quite understand what she's doing. Um, but it always seems to me that she's kind of like trying to get, she's tr- always trying to get her parents' attention, but when they give her attention, she hates having that attention, <laughs> um, <laughs> as evidenced by the uh, Dr. Funke's 100% natural um, good time family band solution, where she wanted to be in the band, but then once they were in the band, she hated being in the band. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, and then we get the introduction of Lindsay wearing... Uh, what she claims is a hand-me-down from mom. And then uh, Michael says that there's a price tag on it. And Lindsay says, I guess you wanted me to have something new, sweet old thing. And Michael says, Only two of those words describe mom, so I know you're lying to me. <laughs> and of course, uh, Lindsay immediately calls back to that when um, she go, when Michael asks, What about the outfit yesterday? And Lindsay says, Old thing gave it to me. So I just love how she instantly knows that out of sweet old thing, sweet is the word that does not apply to Lucille Bloop. Unless it's sweet remote. This is where Lindsay kind of piques Job's curiosity. And it's odd for us to get a storyline where we have um, Lindsay and Job, because that doesn't really, it's like kind of a rare occurrence where those two characters are together in a storyline. Generally, you don't get Job and Lindsay together. Um, you usually get them on opposite sides of a storyline and they don't really interact. Like they'll both mm-hmm. have a goal that they're trying to achieve, and it it will be part of the same storyline, but it won't be by them being you know near each other essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And after Lindsay says, "I stole," uh, <laughs> which you know will become a sign um, in a couple of seasons' time that uh, that Buster steals from somewhere. The narrator tells us that Lindsay has been working at a, de- at a a department store, and she's ashamed of being a shop girl. And so obviously she she tries to hide that from the family. Um, and this is where Job is like, you're saying you walked in without anyone noticing, took an entire outfit. There's no way you you can do that, uh, that sleight of hand that well. I don't think even I could do it. And of course Michael says, yeah, I've seen your tape. <laughs> Which I love his, 
I love how quickly he uh, he's using that against uh, against Job. Um, and then obviously, this is probably my favourite kind of little interaction between Job and Lindsay in this episode, where you know, um, when talking about misdirection, <laughs> she goes. Um, my ass. Job immediately goes, my ass, you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> well, Arnett's kind of delivery of that line straight away is just quite funny. And then obviously he says she's lying, which is true in that she is lying. Uh, and obviously now Michael is like, you know, trying to tell her that she's going to have to take it back. And she says, you're not my father. And he goes, no, our father is in prison for stealing, remember? Um, which kind of undercuts Lindsay straight away. Um, and that's kind of like you know we, we've got the kind of the whole setup now of of um, Job wondering how Lindsay got the clothes, Lindsay not wanting to let anyone know that she's a shop girl, um, and you know <laughs> Michael at the end of this scene you know he says to maybe you're going to come to work with me, um, you're going to be my daughter, you're going to have a role model in your life who's honest, who doesn't steal, who doesn't lie, and I don't know watch entertainment news. I love how it's like a shot straight at. Uh, Straight at Tobias, who I think by this point has fallen asleep because um, mm. maybe maybe earlier had fallen asleep and, um, you know, he said that's it's sweet because she knows exactly what I'm going to do next. Some of his cat-like reflexes right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Michael leaves with maybe, and at this particular point, George Michael that's comes downstairs doing, and yeah. says, Hey, Dad, do you think this purse goes with my outfit? And then he goes... Where'd my dad go? And then Tobias finishes the scene with douche chill, and that's and that's kind of all of the most of the main storyline set up. That's a good um, uh, run or two of just you know leaving the kids, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> forgetting that there's another child that they should be worried about. Although, like in in, in most cases, it's maybe who gets left behind, um, mm-hmm. but in in this or Anne, yeah, or Anne, yeah, but in in this case, you know. I mean, oh, in right. all fairness, Michael had said to George Michael that he didn't want to do it this year and he wasn't going to take him to work. So he had actually told him he just kept ignoring it and just playing mm. into the joke. And I like how now that maybe has, you know, got out of the house, she basically just wants to be dropped off at the mall and she's not going to work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I love this little this kind of little scene where she keeps running away and he keeps stopping and running after her and catching her. And then, you know, um, I, I love the line, uh, who knew you were such a good little climber? <laughs> and The look she gives him too after that is great. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's where she's got it from. Yeah, but I just, I just love this. And then obviously, you know, Lucille calls and Michael uh, swears and then says it's my mother. <laughs> uh, once again, he hates Lucille intruding on his day. Um, and then we get... Um, the first time that An Yong has said more than one word, um, where he explains the situation um, with um, with Lucille because she's going to An Yong's soccer game and she doesn't want to take Buster um, as her date or as her partner or uh, I don't as her father stand in or some, some something similar to that <laughs> as, as as her escort and it's such a it's such a, obviously it's such a weird thing uh, and mm-hmm. I love that An Young explains it all finishing off with, with him saying she old school and uh, Michael just goes I liked it better when he just said An Young which is uh, yeah which <laughs> I actually think like that's like one of those classic um 
Arrested Development multi-episode setups where they just had Anyong saying Anyong for the longest time and they even commented on how that doesn't get old yeah. <laughs> or like that will never get old. Yeah. And then they kind of pay off that thing here and like after it almost got on my nerves like how how many times Anyong just says Anyong and then it pays off in the in this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was basically like seven episodes of him just saying Anyong apart from the episode where he's in the banana stand and he's like, you know, father no love him. <laughs> and you know, he have he have and all that kind of that kind of interaction between uh, him and him and yeah. maybe. But yeah, it's basically just been like seven episodes of him solidly saying Anyong to to practically everyone's <laughs> annoyance. Like Job's got annoyed with it. Yeah. Buster's got annoyed with it. Lucille's got annoyed. Like everyone's got annoyed with it, and then yeah, he just comes out with this really long explanation, um, and then he keeps saying uh, he keeps kind of needling Buster basically, um, and we find mm. out we find out that uh, you know Buster was not allowed to play soccer as a child, and uh, Anyong never cheers me. He says to which Anyong says, "Go fatty," <laughs> and then they start like. <laughs> And then they start fighting, and I think this is unfair because Tony Hale like isn't fat, but it, mm. it, I I like that Anyong has kind of become a part of the Blues enough to know like something that he can say to Buster that will instantly yeah. annoy him, and um, and I think that's like that's a true. He's fitted in like really like he just slotted into the family dynamic of like just fighting with your your family members. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, the fact the fact that like he's found something that he knows annoys Buster, and it's just two words, and he just has to say it, and that's it. Mm. It sets him off. <laughs> um, you know, I just love that, and um, I love how the argument kind of escalates with Lucille saying he's your little brother, and Buster saying no, he's not. I came out of you. He did not. And Michael being like, <laughs> "Can you not call me with these little things, please?" Oh my god. You know, he's like, I still haven't. And this is where we actually get the kind of very subtly they introduce the idea of Kitty being missing by Michael saying, I still haven't replaced mm. Kitty, which is basically the first time that he's mentioned oh, her in yeah. like quite a few episodes. And then obviously we get a flashback to Kitty saying, Say goodbye to these, which of course is another callback to the uh, girls with low self esteem because the only reason that she, you know, had those done was so that she would get on camera more for girls with low self esteem. Uh, which of course works because the uh, people who did Girls with Self Esteem did indeed catch Kitty on camera. And then obviously, I love that Lucille is in on the the bring your daughter to work joke with George Michael because he says it's bring your daughter to work day, and Lucille goes, "Oh, where is George Michael?" And I I love that she kind of already knows. Uh, it's just like a, it's like a nice touch, basically. And uh, you know, we find out that uh, maybe has once again disappeared. <laughs> and Michael has to quickly go and kind of catch her. Um, and then, of course, he says, "Can you just find somebody else, please, to look like your husband?" And the narrator tells us, "In fact, there was someone else who looked like Lucille's husband, his twin brother Oscar." <laughs> I just love how. I love how that's kind of set up. And this is only the second episode with um, Oscar in. After this episode, he won't return until season two. Um, I know it's only one episode, but, you know, given the gap with TV seasons, it was actually quite a while before he returned. Uh, But I love, and I'm sure I will have talked about this quite a lot in the previous episode, but I'll I'll bring it up here again. I love how Jeffrey Tambor plays Oscar so completely different to George Sr. And (laughs) he really makes you believe that they are twins, that there are two different like actors playing it, and it's just so like so well done. Um, 
you know, the the, the fact that, um, the, like, particularly the hair, um, and I I love the, uh, the the fact that when George Senior is getting angry about Oscar, he says um, he says with that ridiculous hair and that. Um, and he wants to insult him again, but he can't because obviously they're twins. So he says, yeah, and that that that, that, one, that that beautiful that handsome face. And I I love that like <laughs> his ego won't his ego because like that's won't, quick switch between yeah like his ego insulting and complimenting. Yeah, his ego won't permit him to call him ugly because he knows he's got the same face. Um, yeah, so Lucille calls Oscar, and we'll get back to Oscar later on in the episode. Um, and I love how the narrator kind of tells us about the the Bluth men struggling with their manliness, and um, you know George Michael talking about how <laughs> he makes all the jokes about being a daughter for his dad, and how Job is like you know there's no security at the store. That's how she was able to shoplift, and then of course that leads to Tobias saying, "Well, of course I could get a job as a security guard." <laughs> And I just kind of like how none of them are actually talking at each other. They're just all saying stuff out aloud, yeah. like, one after the other. And, you know, George Michael's like, I can hang out with my uncles. I mean, three men, what's butcher than that? <laughs> um, and then they all decide to go to the mall, which I love. I love Job saying I'm going to the mall because it's such a kind of a weird way of him proving something um, by, like, going to the stall to to see if he can... Like going to the the store to see if you can shoplift the same way that Lindsay did, such a a weird kind of thing. Um, and of course, uh, this is where we find out that Kitty is missing, um, with Michael and maybe. And this is where Michael kind of uh, puts a bounty on his own head, as he says later on in the episode, where he said that if he lies, he'll give maybe fifty bucks. And she says, what's in it for me? And he says, you'll win my respect. <laughs> Which, you know, then he offers the 50 bucks. Um, yeah, there's nothing for her. Yeah. and His respect doesn't do anything for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and when, he, when he says, this is going to be fun, maybe goes, I win. You know, basically, already she sees that as a lie. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where officers Taylor and Carter um, come in with their daughters <laughs> Tammy and I think it's going to be supposedly Ma- right. Are, are they actually seen? Are, are they actually visible in the episode? Like, I don't see. I don't remember seeing their well. He their daughters in the show. Officer Taylor introduces them, but they've already gone missing. Oh right. So right, as right. he says, Tammy and Monet, <laughs> he doesn't get to say Monica, and uh, Officer Carter mm. is like, I'm on it, and he runs off to find those daughters. Um. So, but I just I just find it funny that like. Everyone seems to be losing their children in this thing mm-hmm. about bringing your children to work. And I just wanted to say that, you know... Oh, no, I guess I'm just going to say the, that, um, like, this joke is, is like, only played maybe, maybe <laughs> twice, but they do, a, like, that stereotypical law and orders thing, like, missiles thing whenever there's a police investigation in this episode. Yeah, well, this is where, you know, um, Officer... Carter explains that, uh, you know, Kitty is missing. Uh, they're investigating the disappearance mm. of Kitty Sanchez. And, um, you know, he he asks, did you threaten her? And, of course, Michael says, of course not. And we flash back to Kitty saying, Michael Bluth is threatening me. <laughs> and even in the episode when she was saying that, that was funny. But seeing it flash back to here, like, in this context is 
you know, really funny. Um, and then obviously, you know, he's like, um, I, I did, I threatened her at a restaurant, but you know, and I love that. He's like, certainly she's been seen since then, you know, officer Taylor goes not alive or dead or whatever. Like at first it's like, you know, she's not alive, but, and obviously I love that. He's like, I certainly didn't uh, kill her and put drop her in the back bay. And Officer Taylor's like, oh, uh, yeah. And then he quickly gets on the radio and says, uh, please send Officer Davis and little Hannah to the back bay. <laughs> I like that we already know about Officer Davis's daughter and we never get to see her. And then, you know, they're, they're going to go down to the police station. I'm, actually, it's, like you said, the music gets really kind of like <laughs> heavy because, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the way that the officer is like, you're the last one who saw her alive. And the music kind of builds, and then it stops, and it's like you know, or dead, whatever. <laughs> I just, I it is, yeah. it's like kind of, it's like a really clever kind of like music sting. Mm. And obviously, the 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 Bluth staff are not known for their like for, for being hard workers. They are constantly trying to go home mm. early, and they're always slacking off. And in this particular case, they're slacking off by showing girls with low self esteem on the projector in the boardroom, <laughs> and obviously. Michael is not happy about this, uh, but Ted points out that you know he he is essentially bringing his daughter to work by showing them Caitlin, um, who is apparently featured in the uh, Newport Beach edition of Girls with Low Self Esteem. But I love how everyone has a copy of this Girls with Low Self Esteem, like the day it came out. <laughs> like that's how popular the video <laughs> series is. Everyone has the most recent edition on release day. The one guy, when asking about, has anyone seen Kitty? He says, I think that's her right behind you there. And, you know, Michael looks on the projector and they see Kitty going onto the yacht and maybe finishes the scene by saying, And that's the boat that Uncle Joe blew up. Hey, now you have something to tell him at the station. I just love Alia Shawcat's kind of delivery of that line. (laughs) At this point, I want to talk a little bit about um, Officer Taylor, played by Jay Johnston, and um, Officer... I'm going to keep forgetting... Officer Carter, played by Jerry Minor. Um, oh, played by Jerry? Yes, played by Jerry Minor. Um, and like they're obviously in this episode very briefly, um, and they will return like in a year's time uh, for when Maggie Liza returns, uh, where we will find out that they're actually a couple. Um, but the those guys themselves were uh, on Mr. Show with... Uh, with David Cross and with uh, Bob Odenkirk. Um, so, you know, they already uh, they already knew cast members. Um, so I'm guessing uh, that's how they got these, these kind of relatively small parts and obviously why they were able you to... You just saw um, John Ennis is in this episode too, actually. Yes, he is. Yep, I was going to get to him later on. But <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no problem. But yeah, so the, like, there's basically three cast members from... From Mr. Show are uh, are are all on this episode, um, and after kind of Bob Odenkirk's like um, you know earlier appearance as the therapist who himself also became an actor. <laughs> um, obviously, this is a lot of people that uh, David Cross kind of knew, um, and I think even though they're a kind of a very small role, like the delivery of Jay Johnston's kind of that whole you know dead or alive or whatever thing, I think it's really like they're they're, they're kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say fleshed out, but I think they kind of play really well into the kind of uh, 
the, the style of Arrested Development because obviously you know it has a very specific mm-hmm. tone and I think um, certainly I know there's an episode later on in the run that people felt a certain actor did not have the right tone to be on the show so I always like when the, no. I always like when these these uh, these kind of small roles are kind of cast really well, and I think I think all three of those guys do like a really good job in this episode. We get to Tobias getting his job, and I love how he talks about. This is actually a callback to Carl Weathers because he says he knows stage combat, and of course uh, Carl Weathers is the one who taught him that. Uh, yeah. and he says, "I know." Uh, oh, but, but only if. Only if the his opponent is a little more petite than him. <laughs> yeah, I love and and I love how he says, "I have a daughter to impress, and I need this job." It's like maybe really do will not care about this, so I don't know why he's saying that. But yeah, and this is this is uh, this is where um, the other guy who I who you just mentioned who was on uh, Mister Show, he's got his daughter with him, and um, and he says it's going to be a couple of days before we can get you a gun license, so. You'll have to use mine. <laughs> he gives him the gun. So I like how like not having a gun license doesn't mean you'll have to wait to get a gun. It just means you'll have to use somebody else's. Mm-hmm. That, by the way, is one hundred percent accurate to America. <laughs> George Michael says says to Job, "It's great to be hanging out with you." Job, of course, is in completely indifferent to George Michael's mm. kind of plight at this particular time. <laughs> And, you know, like, uh, he starts asking about, you know, if he was ever awkward around girls. And Joe, of course, is like, what do you mean? Like, if there were three of us and I didn't know where to start? No, I think I did pretty well. Not a lot of complaints, if you know what I mean. <laughs> At least not from the girl. <laughs> Which is such a weird line. But, uh, uh, and obviously, George Michael is like, you're saying I should be myself? And then Joe is like, mm. and he had to drive her home. So I think I did pretty good. Pretty damn good. <laughs> Obviously, Job is just continuing his story, completely ignoring what George Michael is saying. Um, And then I I love, I always love Will Onet's delivery of the word guy when he addresses people and he's like, Hey, guy. Yes, sir. How many mice will $13 buy? Oh, I actually calculated that. Um, He could buy 5.2 mice. Oh. $13. (laughs) I mean, that's current. That's current. There's there's a sign there that says. Oh, there's a sign. Oh. I'm, I'm not sure if that's cr- yeah. There's a sign that says like mice for two fifty each. <laughs> I love how Joe. Well, so five point two mice. Is Joe, Joe obviously answer. can't can't be bothered to uh, to look at the sign even. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, Buster goes to see his father uh, in prison, and you know, to tell it, to tell him that An Young is violating the ban on organized sports, and obviously George is kind of. <laughs> Perplexed at the idea of this there being a ban on organized sports, um, and obviously this is the it was probably just some like thing that he just said offhandedly like one day just to get Buster to leave him alone, and then yeah. thirty years later Buster's still thinking about it. So thinks about it. Well, to me, it seems like this is actually something that Lucille probably asked George Senior to tell Buster. Because obviously she oh, yeah, she yeah. would be oh, the kind of person okay. who would be concerned about what happens to her baby. So to me, it feels like something where you know she's she's told um, Buster that George Senior has said there's a ban on organised sports, but obviously without saying anything to George Senior about that being the case. Um, and obviously, this is where Buster, after hearing his dad <laughs> tell him say that he was a turd, he says, "Prison has destroyed the way you talk." 
If that's what it takes to impress these guys around here, then they are not your friends. And I love Buster kind of lecturing his father about, you know, friends. And of course, the, the funny thing is, this is something that will happen a few times uh, with George Sr., which is he will find out about stuff that Oscar is doing from people coming to talk to him about something slightly unrelated. So obviously, Buster kind of wants the approval from his father to do sports, but he ends up revealing that Lucille is taking Oscar um, and, you know, that Oscar has been coming around. Um, and, of course, he, you know, he touches Buster and we get the guard's daughter yelling, No touching! Um, <laughs> you know, which, which, I, which I love. And then, um, you, know, you know, his ludicrous head of hair and that nice face of his. Um, and, you know, basically to kind of get rid of, get rid of Oscar, get him out of here. Um, and obviously this is where, once again, he, he touches his son and, and the, uh, the guard's daughter kind of like pounds the table with like a nightstick. And the, the guard is like, her self-esteem is through the roof. Um, but I, I, and we get a very brief, we get a very brief visit from uh, Barry where he goes to the police station and he has a he has a, he has a daughter with him. Of course, Barry says that he, you know, he doesn't have a daughter, and uh, you know, she says, "Well, why do you want to?" I thought you wanted me to call you, Daddy. And he says, "Why don't you go wait for Daddy in the car?" And uh, I love Henry Winkler's kind of like. Of course, Barry Zuckercorn turns this into the creepiest thing possible. <laughs> yeah, um, I think considering how like how nice Henry Winkler is in real life and how. I think he plays this role really well of being kind of a little bit sleazy. And uh, yeah, he delivers that line really creepy. And then I love, as Michael reveals the details of what's going on to Barry, um, each time, each time <laughs> Henry Winkler kind of does this, 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 ooh, like it's kind of like high pitched, like kind of intake of breath. Um, you know, when he says, Job sunk the yacht, Kitty will last seen on it, it's on tape. And Barry's like, did you see this to maybe? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, ooh, chills. And obviously he gets distracted by some bruises on his own arm. But yeah, I just, I love I love how, as the details are revealed to him, Barry is like, basically stop telling me the details because, you know, you just just <laughs> lie, basically. Both of you is his kind of his thing. Um, and then obviously Michael sends maybe away so that he can... Um, he can lie. Yeah, he can confess to Barry that he, you know, he's got a, he's basically got a lie. And obviously, Lindsay phones up, you know, to prove that she's not a horrible mother to ask about maybe. Um, and he, Michael, covers by saying she's making a lot of friends already, and he pushes Barry off because obviously at this point maybe he's talking to what I can only assume are some prostitutes, and um, you know, Michael wants Barry to get her away from them as quickly as possible. Um, and then I love the line. This is probably one of my favorite George Michael lines. When George Michael and Job arrive at the store, he says, You know, say what you will about America. 13 bucks still gets you a hell of a lot of mice. And Job instantly says, Who said anything bad about America? <laughs> Such a weird exchange. Um, and worth pointing out that uh, both, of, both of them are Canadian. Uh, kind of, kind of. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so kind of odd that they're they're talking about the virtues of America, and of course uh, they're both Canadian. Yeah, and then you know this is where Job lays out his his you know to prove that he's a sleight of hand artist. He's basically going to throw a box of mice into the store and then start stuffing shirts down George Michael's pants. 
<laughs> and that is his plan. And I just love that. I love that he thinks that's how Lindsay might have done it. Like, he's trying to figure out how Lindsay would have done this. And that's his idea is throw a load of mice around and stuff stuff down people's pants. Uh, and then I, I love to there's a there's a subtle way to do that where like you know you, you hide in the corner and you just kind of let the, the mouse go and then you know suddenly just start like putting things in your pocket but instead <laughs> he just opts for throwing the box up in the air shouting mouse and then grabbing as much stuff as he can yeah and I, I like how George Michael is kind of behind on this and he's like shirts Job are we shoplifting <laughs> before and that's just as he, Job just yells mice it's such a stupid plan, but I just love how that is exactly how Job would kind of do this. <laughs> this is this is what he considers to be sleight of hand, is just throwing animals around and stuffing stuff down people. On the phone call, Lindsay is kind of t- saying that, um, that, you know, she's she's not a bad influence. And Michael says, you're a criminal. What kind of message does that send? Um, and then obviously, this is where Lindsay says... <laughs> That's where I am, Michael. I'm a shoplifter. I've got, I got a whole bag of clothes that I shoplifted. And then, of course, Tobias, as a guard, jumps on top of her. And the narrator says, Tobias was now a guard and a surprisingly cat-like one. Uh, which is obviously a callback to um, to one of the previous episodes. When there's mice running around, actually. Yes, and well... Yeah, but unlike a... a <laughs> unlike a cat, he's really bad at catching the mice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is probably a joke that was probably thrown in there about Tobias being a cat that, that can't catch mm-hmm. mice. But yeah, and then uh, the supervisor's daughter catches uh, Job and says, "Freeze!" And then they bleep her out. But I think she's just an asshole. But they choose to bleep her, and um, you know, so basically <laughs> everyone who that morning um, are are basically all kind of now being arrested and taken to the back of the store. Um, and we get Lucille and Oscar at the, um, you know, at the the the, the football. The... Oscar has parked his his <laughs> humble trailer um, next to the um, you know next to the the, the, the match, and um, you know, uh, Lucille mentions it's, it's a children's soccer game, uh, not Woodstock. When when they they when he tries to make out with her. And it's funny because um, when they had the conjugal visit, which Job did not want to see, um, you had George Senior complimenting Lucille on her body and talking about how she's got a banging body and all this kind of stuff. And here you have Oscar saying, you know, your tongue is as sharp as your body is still taut. So everyone is kind of obsessed with Lucille's <laughs> tight body, basically. Um, and I, I do love how... Um, Oscar has a hanger for a lock, <laughs> and I, like that's that's not a lock. Like it's a means to keep the door yeah. shut, but no one's like it's not going to stop anyone from getting in there. I, I kind of wanted, wanted to call up um, one of the wardrobe jokes that they gave Oscar. Like in the in that scene that we were talking about, yeah, he's actually wearing a David Cassidy jacket. Yes, which um. They they called they said that he he's written a song for that for that guy before and he's been rejected by the guy yes as being the most vapid man in, <laughs> in the pre in the previous yeah, episode another, yeah yeah in yeah, the previous yeah. episode another, where Oscar um, was introduced yeah gag in that in Oscar's wardrobe he actually has a lapel pin that's in the shape of a hand 
So I'm not sure how they wow. were trying to connect that to Oscar's thing, but it's, it's just there for some reason. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that at this point they knew they were getting a second season, and obviously they probably knew that they were going to be getting rid of Buster's hand, so that might have just been put in there just kind of like at the last minute maybe. Yeah, it's I, in advance. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell sometimes how far ahead they actually plan stuff or whether it's just luck that later on mm-hmm. they kind of just call back to stuff. <laughs> they'd already done but yeah yeah the whole hand thing is um it starts cropping up a lot at the start of season two um mm-hmm. but here we get yeah um, just like there's a lot of gags that they actually pull off through wardrobe in in the show like for example job's job starts wearing louder sweaters when he gets married um and tobias's weird 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 clothing choices yes <laughs> Throughout the season, yeah, it's like I, I I like their their wardrobes their wardrobe departments. It's really cool. Um, what well, actually with the scene with the wardrobe, uh, a gag I really like is Lucia wearing like her really most richest old lady clothes at this uh, soccer game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And like, it's so inappropriate as well for the yeah. You see the... like the people around her in t-shirts and tank tops, and then she's got like the big jacket yeah. and the yeah, and the good fluffy um yeah, the big fluffy uh, collar, that... yeah. Yeah, the big poofy color. Yeah. Like, yeah, they 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 can pull up like subtle things even in the wardrobe. It's, it's a great show. I th- well, I think at this point they've got the character so firmly established. It's also true with um, Lucille too. Like you know, she's in the hospital and she's got like diamond earrings on and stuff and a diamond necklace. Like, mm-hmm. there's obviously a certain status that that, that those ladies, <laughs> you know, no matter where they are, they must be dressed a certain way. Mm-hmm. We get a hint at a storyline that will not really come to full fruition for another few episodes. Once you get a few episodes into season two, and they kind of seem to they seem to know what to do with Oscar a bit more, um, mm-hmm. because in the previous episode it was implied that Oscar kind of only appeared once every few years to get some money from George. Um, obviously, earlier in the season, we had George talking about how he took enjoyment in firing his his own brother and the look on his face, and of course, he recreates it by just doing his own face. Um, <laughs> you know, so which seems to suggest that Oscar was, you know, was employed by the Blues Company at one point, which doesn't really fit with the character. When mm-hmm. once you've met Oscar, you're like, well, that it's a funny joke, but it doesn't really feel like the Oscar that you kind of get to know. You know, the, the first thing they do is they have... Um, he did it in the previous episode, which is Oscar started massaging um, Michael's shoulders when he met him in the coffee shop. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. here we have competitive massaging from from both Buster <laughs> and Oscar as they both fight to be the person to massage the other person. And they end up kind of going around in this weird kind of loop in the... Uh, in the, in the um, Camper in the, in the yeah. trailer, they're kind of they're both trying to massage each other, and it just kind of turns into a fight as to who is who's going to be the, the massager and who is going to be the massagee. And I just think that's a, that's. <laughs> I like when uh, when Buster's leaving too, when he has like the he tries to like reach around and he's like, no, no, I can't do this, and just leaves. <laughs> yeah, but obviously this is this is this will <clears throat> once you've seen more of the series, this this feels like calling out the fact that you know. Buster gets his need to massage people from his father, his true father. His pop secret. Yeah, his pop secret, which which is, of course, Oscar. Um, and obviously, you know, that that joke will get its own musical sting when it reoccurs in season two. But I think it's nice that here we see the two together and 
Buster is very much like Oscar. He is very kind of like gentle and he's a lot kind of calmer than the other, the blues kids, you know, the ones that are kind of directly influenced by George senior, um, who tend to compete for his love, which is basically the other three. They, that that's what they're constantly doing is they're trying to get their father's love. Whereas, you know, Buster seems kind of happy with the relationship he has with his father. Obviously, you know, he's, he's not happy with his father's language in prison, but, it doesn't seem like they have a kind of close relationship. Um, whereas Oscar, mm. to me, seems more like Buster. And I have a feeling that's how um, Jeffrey Tambor is playing it. He's playing it knowing that this might be the storyline in season two. And so his his mannerisms mm. are a bit are kind of closer to the stuff that Tony Hale does um, than anything that kind of George Sr. does. And I think that's what kind of makes the, the, the twins distinct. Um, yeah, basically the same thing that you said. Like it's it's just Jeffrey Tambor is like so great, like able to to inhabit this completely different character. And even like later when they're sharing scenes together, like he does a really good job of uh, keeping the two of them apart. Basically, I thought like it was a really smart move for the writers to create a whole new character just to get Jeffrey Tambor out of that <laughs> The jail environment that he's in, yeah, just like, <laughs> yeah, it's, fun, it's, a, it's a fun, it's a great move, it's a great move. Yeah, and now just like in, in this episode, it seems like they're mixing character, uh, like the character interaction interactions around. Like these character pairings that we have in this episode, they're not the usual pairings that you get. Like maybe and Michael very rarely interacted this much. Yes, in as compared to the. Previous uh, episodes in this season, so yeah. In fact, I I, like they, they, I can't really yeah. think of a time during this season where they really had a proper storyline together. Um, mm-hmm. No, I don't think that. So I think in this, I think this is the first they're, time they're doing a really nice job mixing it up in this episode. Yeah, you know, Michael is questioned by the detectives, um, and you know, he, he's <laughs> like. <laughs> like when when he asks Barry for advice, you know, and Barry kind of leads in. He's, you know, when he's like, "Will you? Are you willing to take a polygraph?" And of course, Barry leads in as if to whisper, but he just basically says, "Are you nuts?" Like <laughs> full volume. <laughs> and I look at I love how he leans in as if to whisper, but just doesn't bother whispering. Um, it's such a great, really stupid, really easy gag, but it works every time. <laughs> Yeah, and I love how he then goes, not without a better lawyer, which is kind of such a great joke. Um, And this is where we get to see one, I want to say one sixth of kids in the hall, which is Kevin MacDonald. I can never remember how many kids there were in the hall. Was it five or six? I think it was six, right? Yeah, I swear it's... I don't know. Anyway, we get one of the kids in the hall because we get Kevin MacDonald as Detective Studler. He's only in like a couple of scenes here. He only gets to say a few lines, uh, but he's really great. And I just, I just really like kind of how he's got like his daughter, but his daughter's like a baby. But the weird thing is, it doesn't make any sense. Like the whole bring your daughter to work thing is so that they can see you at work. So why would you have a baby? Like she can't, she's not learning anything from this experience. Yeah. She's just, you know, she's just been. An... Actually, like I think it, like the baby he had was kind of like a American sniper baby doll thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, it's yeah. Like, it looked really weird. <laughs> And uh, Barry takes Barry takes the baby and kind of calms calms it down. And then obviously you know George Michael gets the 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 call. And I just like how Michael only says in your pants, 
and then he says, my son has an emergency, and that leads detective fellows to think something, and he goes, you know, there's a Grover book, I can't hold it in, worked for us. And I love how he kind of nods to his daughter, and she's she's there, like, just colouring him with crayons. Um, so I really like that. And then, obviously, you know, Buster, he gets his revenge on... Um, on An Yong and the football team when the ball comes to his feet and, um, you know, Buster, you know, he tells everyone I'm a man and then he just he basically takes down all these kids and scores a goal and, you know, feels really happy. Um, and then obviously, you know, he looks back and sees all the people that he's destroyed and um, Oscar is like the only one clapping at this achievement. <laughs> Like just doing like a slow clap, uh, and the narrator tells us that Buster realised he may have scared away a man who supported him in the way he'd always hoped his own father would. You know, if they were pushing the uh, the Oscar Bean Buster's father joke, I'm sure they would have written that slightly differently, so it it would have kind of emphasised it a little bit. Um, but I think it's a nice moment. I think you know, the fact that Buster like cuts down all the, <laughs> these these children. Um, and then celebrate. Having An Young as the goalie too is a nice, so yeah. Weird oh yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's kind of just like the end of the whole Buster, Lucille, Oscar, An Young thing. Um, and then obviously, you know, Michael he goes to pick his son up from, you know, doing some shoplifting. Uh, and this is where Lindsay reveals she wasn't shoplifting; she was a sales girl. Uh, although obviously you know not a very good sales girl and you, you see her laughing at someone picking an outfit and then obviously Job says a sales girl I knew it I knew you couldn't pull it off there's only one magician in this family and that is me and George Michael goes <laughs> yeah and you got caught by a 13 year old girl uh, which is uh, you know that's a little bit more I like George Michael's very brief flirtation with the uh, with the security yeah. officer's daughter too <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and then obviously Michael says, "This is why I'm constantly asking you to stay away from my son," <laughs> uh, which you know is true. And then obviously this is where George Michael. We whenever we get Michael and George Michael at the end of an episode, they usually kind of have a slightly more emotional wrap up, like kind of a less jokey wrap up. And obviously this is where George Michael is talking about how he's not daughter enough, and um, you know George Michael. You know, he says that he wanted to give maybe a good role model for change. And then obviously <laughs> he says, yeah, I guess you looking out for her probably is something she could use. And then obviously maybe his, you know, is she isn't there. She's still at the police office, um, at the police station. And then Michael, uh, this is where he says he's put a bounty on his own head. Because obviously he has to get back to maybe uh, to tell the truth. Um, <laughs> which Which I like. But... You know, and once we get back to the station, maybe says that she's Detective Fellow's daughter, and Detective Studler just tells her that the code for the doors is four three five, and that opens any door in the building. <laughs> I, the worst person he could possibly tell that to. Yeah, and I, I love how after telling maybe that he kind of softly walks away because obviously he doesn't want to wake his daughter up, and it's like a nice bit of kind of work from Kevin McDonald, kind of like to kind of tiptoeing out of. Like round the round the corner, so that he he doesn't wake his own daughter, um, and then obviously maybe opens up the door and sees Kitty, and I'm a little disappointed we don't get to see Kitty, because I would have liked a bit more Judy Greer, but I guess it works because obviously you need the punchline of not seeing Kitty 
so that maybe can tell Michael at the end of the episode. But I don't think anyone ever believed that Kitty was dead. Like, obviously, we saw her get on the yacht, and we know that the yacht was blown up. But I don't, I don't think you ever believe that they've killed off Kitty. Um, so far, they did show Kitty like swimming around after, like one of the, yeah. the next, the next Ursa developments. Yeah, yeah, she was on the uh, on the cooler that said, um, yeah, yeah, Saddam. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think anyone ever, ever kind of believed she was dead, and there's nothing in this episode that makes you believe that, so I don't know why they couldn't have just shown it, but I guess, I guess the joke works okay at the end, uh, with that. And then obviously, you know, maybe has told the truth to Detective Fellows, she said that there's a tape of Kitty getting on the boat and you guys blew it up, and, um, you know, this is where we get the daughter says, You are free to go. And I kind of like that touch that... <laughs> this this weird thing of like bring your daughter to work day but also have your daughter do your job seems to be the the way yeah. it's working it's, it's such a... <laughs> so having having her kind of like tell them they're free to go um and then obviously you know maybe says they got nothing on you kitty's alive i saw her in the back room uh they just wanted to scare you so she'd testify against pop pop and then obviously michael says i guess i owe you 50 bucks and she says uh, yeah, I'd save your money. Kitty's got a lot of evidence, and she thinks you tried to kill her. So you're probably going to need a better attorney. And then obviously they're they're almost knocked over by a um, is that a gardener? I think it is, like a riding mower. And his 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 daughter kind of nearly knocks him over and says "Lo siento." Uh, and Michael finishes by saying, "I hate bring your daughter to work day." And then we get on the next where Tobias is. Solving the mice problem by shooting all the mice, and Lindsay is shoplifting. <laughs> he's so happy while he's doing it. <laughs> yeah, um, I will note that the the gun um, there's only a muzzle flash for the first like two shots, and the third shot there's no muzzle flash, um, and this, this, like the, sh- the sound of shooting keeps going. But so the third shot, he's clearly he's clearly shooting nothing. But uh, you know, special effects. For a TV show, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, and Lindsay is just kind of stuffing as much stuff into a bag as she possibly can. Uh, and the last thing she takes, she just kind of looks at it as if she doesn't really need it, and she just throws it in there anyway, and then continues. Um, and then we get Anyong exacting his revenge, where Buster is now allowed to be on the soccer team, full of <laughs> kids, I guess. Um, and then obviously, you know, Anyong. Jumps into shot saying heads up fatty, and that's where the episode ends. Uh, so you know, your guys' kind of thoughts is there anything else that we've missed um, in this episode? Anything that you wanted to point out? No, I'm good. I think that I just to me, this episode felt more like a setup episode, it didn't feel particularly strong to me, at least compared to the rest of the season. But I, I still liked it. Even even if it's, it might be one of the weaker ones for me at least. In ter- like there's, the density of the jokes isn't quite doesn't quite work for me. But it it's setting stuff up that uh, that pays off later. So yeah, I would agree that plot wise, it's not you know, it's it's more setting up all all the other things that are going on, as, especially as the season's wrapping up. But but joke wise, it still works perfectly for me. I I mean I like the stuff with you know Oscar. And, um, you know, I think the young, like, George Michael curtsy in and, like, the whole, the whole kind of premise, you know, bring your daughter to work day, but George Michael insists on being the daughter. 
and then gets disappointed when he can't be the daughter. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I, I find that quite funny. But anyway, on the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, uh, my guests will be Amber Stewart and Gina Radcliffe, and we will be covering Let Em Eat Cake, which is, of course, the last episode of season one. Uh, it concerns the, the, the family's dealings with the Iraqi government, basically. <laughs> Uh, it's where it's like the Iraq stuff has kind of been hinted at throughout the the show, and there's been mentions of light treason and stuff like that. But it's only really once we get into season two that the Iraq stuff kind of becomes, you know, explicit basically, and and, and the idea that that they dealt in some way with Saddam Hussein <laughs> becomes like a an ongoing plot point. Uh, but yeah, so that will kind of all start in the next episode. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? Uh, I'll start with JL. Um, well, I guess just my Twitter account. Sometimes I post uh, pixel art in there. Um, follow me at Kamikaze, C-H-E-M-I-K-H-A-Z-I. Yeah, I have a blog where I, I review various TV shows. Um, why am I watching.blogspot.com And um, everything else I do, post on car, stuff like that. That's all, you know, you can find it all in there. And you're on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Uh, Funk2. F-L-O-N-K. Thanks both of you for joining me. Uh, especially JL, who has right, had to stay up late because you're in such a completely different time zone to uh, to everyone else. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you doing that. No, this is like just my, norm- my normal day. <laughs> I sleep late. Yeah, yeah I'm a night person too, bad. so this is really early. <laughs> So yeah, let's, let's thank Kevin more than thank yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, thanks to both of you for joining me. Um, uh, I will see you on the next episode. So otherwise, goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye.